Hey, well, welcome to uh, our last service uh, here on Sunday of 2020. Uh, we have survived, uh, you and I together, and what a wild year uh, it has been. Uh, this time uh, last year, could not have uh, imagined that we would face uh, the circumstances and scenarios that we have faced, but I think we're better together, and I think God is still on the throne. I think he's still in a good mood, and I think he's still going to do some good things in the earth. And so... I don't know what type of 21, 2021 you're going to have, but I'm going to have a good 2021. It is the year of God's favor for our lives. It is the year of God's resource. It is the year of God's healing. It is the year of God's hope. And we can't allow the exterior circumstances of the world that are fading away to reflect on the eternal nature of a good God who has placed his favor on your life. In fact, the first message that Jesus ever preaches in all of the New Testament, he quotes out of the prophet Isaiah, and he says, this is the year of the favor of the Lord. And right after him saying, this is the year of the favor of the Lord, they try to kill Jesus. They're so upset about what he preached. They try to push him off a ledge. They accuse him of all sorts of heresy and other things that are punishable by death under, under Hebrew law. And yet Jesus' declaration never changes. This is the year of the favor of God, which means this. Favor is not an exterior condition. It's an interior condition. And so what type of year you decide to have is exactly the type of year you're going to have. And so when we say we're people of favor, what it means is I'm blessed in the countryside and I'm blessed in the city. When we say we're people of favor, it means I'm blessed when things are going my way and I'm blessed when things are not going my way. When we say we're people of favor, what it means is I've got wisdom when I can plan out my entire life and I've got wisdom when I feel like there's a new press conference every day of the week. Because what's happening inside of me is more powerful than what's happening around me. The hope of glory has taken residence inside each and every one of us and that's the good news of the gospel. And so Fred, for you and I as we uh, prepare as we plan, as we pray, as we look forward to a new year. You know, I was thinking about this uh, this week, and it, it, it strikes me that a lot of times for the first three, four months of the year, people accidentally write the wrong year whenever they're writing out the date. They're writing a check or they're writing a document, and they say 2020 when really it's 2021. This year, nobody is having that problem. Some of you have been writing the new year for the last six months. Nobody's having that problem this year. Because if you're anything like me, you're ready to turn the page here on the calendar and we're believing for our best days uh, to be ahead. But you know, you've, you've come a far way. And together, we've come a far way. And what I love about God is that the only time he brings up your past is to encourage you, to show you how much you've grown. God never brings up your past to embarrass you or to shame you. The gospel is not shame on you. It is shame off you. And so God, when he brings up things that we have walked through, it's always to give us this perspective. I may not be where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. God is doing an incredible work inside of my life. Now, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I'm going to tell it again uh, for, for, for some of our new friends this morning. You're sitting in a former JCPenney building. And uh, about two years ago, JCPenney uh, went through a national debt restructuring. They declared bankruptcy, and one JCPenney came up for sale in all of Washington State, and it was this one. And that JCPenney looked like this blueprint when we moved in. There's stuff on this blueprint, and I don't even know what it is. What is hosiery? 
do you pronounce it? What? What are y'all holding together? What? Is, they selling stuff that doesn't even exist anymore. It's the reason they went bankrupt. But the J.C. Penney looked like this, smelled like this, it was structured like this when we moved in. In fact, in the first six months, we got rid of 120,000 pounds of leftover debris, jewelry cases, point of sales, bookshelves, uh, stocking room materials. I mean, you name it, this thing was built out, and it looked like they had left overnight. And when we found this building, it wasn't even for sale. It was for lease. And the lease was more expensive than we could afford, and so we got this crazy idea. Instead of leasing it, why don't we try to buy it? And uh, long story short, we did. And it kind of felt like the dog chasing the car who caught the car and then wondered, what's next? And I'll never forget the day that we texted the agent and we said, uh, we're interested in the property. We don't want to lease it. We want to buy it. Is it potentially for sale? And they said, well, anything's for sale for the right price. And so we texted back. We said, 2.7 million, all cash, close in 30 days. And they responded, we'll take it. And we didn't have 2.7 million. We certainly didn't have it in all cash. And it was going to take a lot longer than 30 days. And what began that night was the research to find a bank who would believe in us enough to lend us that type of money. And I think I got turned down by 23 banks until one day I got a call from a fellow pastor in the area who happened to be Baptist, who was a part of a network called Converge. And he said, I believe in what you're doing. I heard you need a loan, and I'm here to help. <laughs> and uh, that relationship resulted in a line of credit that allowed us to purchase this building and over the last two years begin an extensive remodel to help host now what you're sitting in in this sanctuary. And I, I remember for about two years, I had this drawing on a huge blueprint piece of paper, about three, four feet wide. Back in those days, we'd host prayer meetings in here on Friday night, and I would roll out that blueprint here in this altar, and I would kneel on that blueprint. I'd place my hands on that blueprint, and I'd pray and prophesy over what I saw in faith that I didn't see in reality. And I would pray, and I would believe, and I would say, God, I know you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to afford it. I don't know how it could get done, but if there's anybody who can do it, it's you. And two years later, you're sitting in a mostly redone, remodeled J.C. Penney building that today is worth double what we bought it for. And that's an ongoing miracle. And the reason why I bring that story up is because every once in a while, I find an old blueprint. And even though I'm always frustrated with everything, I become really grateful that we're not back in those days. You know, some of you are newer to the church here, so you can't appreciate. We used to have one restroom here. One and people would line up, sometimes all around the foyer, trying to get into that one restroom. And today we have more than one, which we should all be really grateful for. For the first 18 months of this building, we had no hot water in the building anywhere. For those of you who enjoy hot water, you should be grateful. We've come a far way. And every once in a while, God will show you pictures or glimpses of where you came from just to make you appreciate where you're at now. And so we want to enter 2021 thankful and grateful because in the midst of a whole lot of chaos, confusion, and complication in our culture today, Jesus is still on the throne, his kingdom is still unshakable, and the people of God will still advance. In fact, it's when 
moments of crisis face a nation that the church shines brightest. And I think that's been true about this church, and I hope that to be true about your personal life as well. And I wanted to give you a little context today because I think it's helpful for us to just approach this season with an attitude of gratitude. I'm going to be a person of thankfulness. I'm going to be a person of appreciation. I'm going to be a person of courage because of all that God has brought us through. Now, I think if all you consume is media and news and things that you see on the Internet, what you'll develop is a very negative, caustic, pessimistic view of the world around you. And if all you feed on is the fear and the anxiety that comes from our messaging systems today, pretty soon you will find yourself as a person espousing those same fears and anxieties around you. But scripture is clear, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, some translations say of timidity, but instead power, love, and a sound mind. Which means this, God has given you the ability to think correctly about the type of season you're in today. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit's help in the renewal of our mind. you got to think correctly about the season we're in. And this morning, I'm going to share with you just a few verses out of the book of Isaiah, starting in chapter 43. Because I believe this is a prophetic context uh, for where we're at today. And I want to encourage you to believe God's word to His church and to apply this to your life in a way that causes you to have a successful, a prosperous, and a favored 2021. Isaiah the prophet, speaking for God to the nation of Israel, says this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Some translations say, do you not understand it? I am making a way in the wilderness, and I am making streams in the wasteland. Can't you understand what I'm doing? I'm making a way where there seems to be no way. Do you know that God in his brilliance and in his sovereignty allows you to enter into wilderness seasons just so that you can see his provision in ways that you could never see it before? And God, in his wisdom, allows us to develop in both hard times and in good times because different seasons of life reveal different factions of who God is. He's, he's like a diamond that holds up to the light, and every time you see the light reflect off that diamond, you, you see a different facet of how it was created. And you and I will live the rest of our lives in this ongoing developmental relationship with Christ by which every season will reflect on another part of who He is. You never know God is your healer until you face sickness. You never know that God is your resourcer until you face poverty. You never know that God is your encourager until you face depression. It doesn't mean that God causes bad things, but it means God uses bad things if you let him for your good. There's a big difference between God causing your depression and God using your depression. There's a big difference between God causing your illness and God using your illness. So what I found personally is that every trial that I'll allow God to use becomes part of my developmental system that God is building inside of me. The past is a place of reference. It's not a place of residence. The past is how we adjudicate how far we've come today. But it's not where I have to live, it's not where I am supposed to live, and it's not where God's presence or His glory rests. The past serves as a reference point, but not as a residence. 
You ever see people who just live in the past? Sometimes they're attached to a sports team that was great in the past. Every time they talk about that team, it was only what they have done in the past, not what they have done in the present. Sometimes people get attached to old relationships like that, old systems like that, old places of employment like that, old seasons of life. Every time you're around them, they can only talk about how good things used to be. But the problem is when you live a backwards-focused life, you fall susceptible to spiritual atrophy, meaning this, you begin to die and you don't even know it. And when you become a stone altar to the past, you no longer have that abundant life flowing inside of you. Watch how Paul says it in the book of Philippians. Similar message, but to a different people. Brothers and sisters, I, I do not consider myself yet to, to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for that which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Watch what Paul is saying. My great source of strength and encouragement is simply this. I have learned the art of leaving the past in the past in order to grab a hold of the future. Think about all the skills of the Apostle Paul. The most educated man in his day. He authored two-thirds of the New Testament. Likely had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized word for word. A Pharisee of Pharisees. Well educated. Well intellectualized. And his boast to the church in Philippi is this. I have learned the secret of how to forget. And I think for some of us, we so easily skip over some of the more simple things in scripture. And wonder where the joy is in our life. Friend, you don't need someone else's permission to move on. Forgiveness is not about waiting for an apology. It's about refusing to stay stuck to someone else's sin. Which means this, I don't forgive for your sake, I forgive for mine. Because when I forgive, I'm breaking agreement with the injury of my past in order to move on to my future. And so sometimes for us, we got forward-looking faith, and we're believing God for what's next and new things, but we're still holding on to the debts of that last relationship or that last hurt or that last season. And can I tell you, the only person you injure when you hang on to bitterness is you. And do you know that you can even forgive people who never asked for it? You can forgive people who never apologize. You can forgive people who, uh, that, that you think don't even deserve it. I mean, that is, the, that is the great benefit of Christian living. Is that in the same way that you've received grace from God, you can extend it to others. You know that sometimes I forgive people and I don't even tell them that they're forgiven? Because it wouldn't be helpful. Hey, I forgive you. Well, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. I, you know, you start the whole cycle again. But can I tell you, Fred, for your own mental health and sanity, you've got to learn the art of forgive and forget. <laughs> and I don't mean forget in some sort of amnesia way. Like, it would be great if, if, if God just could hook our brain up to some sort of system and, and literally cause us to forget those things. But when Scripture talks about forgetting, it means this, not to remember against. Meaning this, I know what you did, but I'm not holding it against you. I'm not holding it over your head. Now, I know that you wronged me, but I'm not going to carry an injured spirit because that's not my identity. And the next time I see you, the first thing that comes to my mind is not all the ways that you have hurt me, but instead all the times that God has been so good to me that I can release it to you. I, I wish we could forget some stuff. But I've found that forgiveness is a choice, and sometimes it's a choice that you have to remind yourself that you've made multiple times. 
You have to you ever have to remind yourself that you've forgiven somebody? Right? You start rehearsing it in your mind, you get upset again. You're like, why am I still mad at this eight years later? Why does this still hurt me? Why am I still upset? And then you got to remind yourself, oh, I actually can't go there in my mind because I've already released them to the Lord. I've already forgiven them. You know, they're even doing secular studies today that say that unforgiveness actually causes you physical pain. That it actually results in disease and injury in your life. What scripture has always known to be true, finally society is catching up to, which is this. Unforgiveness is unbecoming of you. And when I can release people from their debt, it tells the Father that he can release me of mine. And it's so important for us to learn the art of forgetting. There's only a certain amount of mental real estate that you have. And the interesting part of life is that trauma and toxicity has this weird way of taking up inordinate amounts of space. So when I talk about forgetting, I'm, I'm not speaking about it like somebody who misplaces their keys or, or forgets their wallet, but instead an intentional rejection of the temptation to rehearse the drama and social anxiety of your life. Do you know that a vast, vast, vast majority of the things that you worry about never come to pass? So what that means is that the only thing worry does is steal your joy for what tomorrow holds. You rehearse all of the worst case scenarios. I mean, that, that really is a conspiracy theory against yourself when you believe the worst case scenarios for your life. What if this is going to happen? And what if I get a strange illness? And what if somebody hits me in my car on the way to church? What if we play this what if game? We find ourselves all wrapped up in worry and confusion and chaos. And can I tell you, Fred, worry, confusion, and chaos is never from the Lord. But it is an ongoing battle that you and I have got to fight every day because of the fallen world in which we live. So in 2021, we're going to make some commitments. Number one, we're going to starve our fears until they're too weak to stand. We're going to neglect our insecurities until they are too frail to speak. We're going to reject our doubts until they are too feeble to materialize. See, forgetting is hard work, but it's necessary work if you want to grow. Forget and then refuse to dwell. See, some people live in the place of hurt and in doing so end up hurting everyone around them. See, what you refuse to process and what you refuse to release, you will ultimately end up reproducing through your life. So when I make a decision to release things to God, what I'm saying is even though this hurt me, it doesn't get to mark me for life. Even though this injured me in a moment, I don't get to become an injured person going forward. I, I, may, I, I may have experienced a modicum of, of abuse in my life, but it doesn't make me an abused person going forward. I'm going to offload the trauma. I'm going to offload the hurt. I'm going to release forgiveness and get forgiveness wherever I can get it. And then I'm going to make a decision in my own life to take captive every thought or vain imagination that would cause me to go back to the past and create a dwelling place there. When you live in the past, not only does it hurt you, but it begins to poison the relationships around you. Yeah, here's some things that we need to leave in 2020. Number one, the need to control every outcome. That's impossible. Number two, the belief that you can meet every demand. That's irrational. Number three, the requirement to understand how everything is going to come together. That's not possible. So we have this great abiding trust and faith in God. 
that he has seen my end from the beginning, that he's the author and the finisher. He's not done yet with my story. And if he has been this good up until this point, it's a pretty good indicator that he will continue to be good as long as I got breath in my lungs. And so we got to count God faithful in every circumstance of life. Remember, when you magnify an object, it doesn't change its size, it changes your perspective. New year, new me? No. New year, same Jesus. What gives us great comfort is not our ability to change, but God's ability to stay the same. You know what? 2021 will be as healthy as you are. 2021 will be as generous as you are. 2021 will be as kind and encouraging as you are. You know why? Because we don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. And you've got to choose in this season what you're going to magnify in your life. You magnify something. It doesn't change its physical size. It only changes your perspective of its physical size. You magnify a fear in your life and all of a sudden it becomes a dominating spirit. You magnify sickness in your life, all of a sudden it becomes the thing that guides your every thought, action, and emotion. You magnify poverty in your life and you live the rest of your days trying to hoard as much as you can because you'll never have enough. Whatever you magnify grows in perspective. Why do you think David says, my soul will magnify the Lord? Because when you magnify his preeminence, it multiplies the benefit of his presence in your life. And God can't get any bigger than he already is. So when I magnify him, it's not for his benefit, it's for mine. See, God doesn't have an insecurity problem. You have an insecurity problem. Right? And so when you hold up a magnifying glass to him, it's not because he needs to appear bigger than he already is. No, his presence already fills the whole earth. It's to cause you to be aware of the vast size that he already is. I need to multiply his benefit in my life by changing my perspective. Which means this, your perspective is prophetic. Because what you set your gaze on, you will become like. Everybody, let, 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 me, let me pull it from, 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 from the, the th theoretical into the forensic. This is um, the issue with pornography. The issue with pornography is that as you gaze on sexual dysfunction, it changes the way that you see people around you. And instead of seeing them for who they are, you only see them as objects of your lust. What you gaze on as a person transforms you into that image. That's why in the Old Testament it says, you become like the gods you've served. The gods who cannot see, the gods who cannot hear. They're deaf and dumb. They're made by hands of men. As you worship those gods, you become like them. So for us, what we set our gaze on, we're transformed into its image and into its likeness. Now watch what scripture says. Let me prove it to you. Matthew 6, verses 22 through 23, it says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Psalms 119 and 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Job 31. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What I gaze on, what I set my direction on, what I set my eyes on, begins to materialize even in my own life. And this is why we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. In the midst of the storm, our eyes are on Jesus. In the midst of turmoil, our eyes are on Jesus. In the midst of uncertainty, our eyes are on Jesus. Because as our eyes are set on him, we find ourselves daily transformed into his image and into his likeness. This is the cry of David in the book of Psalms. Let me behold your beauty. As I gaze upon your beauty, I'm transformed into your image. So what you set your eyes on in 2021 will be what you have more of. And so if we set our eyes on the goodness of God, we set our eyes on the presence of God, we set our eyes on the person of Jesus, what you'll see is this growing awareness of God's omniscience, even in your own life. Man, I'm just aware of God more than I ever have been before. Man, I just feel like God's favor is, I can't explain it. Seems like everybody's having a tough year except me. I don't know what to say. I just, man, I just really sense the nearness of God in my life. What you fix your gaze on, you become like. And so for you and for me, we got to fix our gaze on Jesus. Let me say this, especially to our friends who are watching online. I believe the virus is real. I just refuse to allow sickness to have a place of honor in my life. And so sometimes people have thought of me as a pastor... I'm saying, well, I don't care about people because we're having church, or I must not care about people's health because we're still getting people to gather, so on and so forth. You must reject science. You must not believe in this. You must not believe in that. But let me say this. I believe this stuff is real. I want to do everything I can to, to, to get healthy, and I know vaccines and different things are coming out. Everybody's going to make their own decision. You do whatever you got to do. But I think we should be careful in our lives to not hide behind wisdom and allow fear to dominate our lives. Well, I'm just using wisdom. No, it sounds like you're operating in fear. No, I'm just using wisdom. No, it sounds like you're going to be in a bunker six years until it changes your identity. No, I'm just using wisdom. But I, I know some people today, they can quote more from the CDC than they can from Scripture. became an amateur scientist. They've got all the science, but they got none of the scriptures. And I believe things are real. I'm not here to minimize things. We have people in our church real sick. I, I believe in this stuff. It's real. You got to be careful. You got to sanitize. You got to shower. You got to do whatever you got to do. Quit licking doorknobs. Quit being gross. Do what you got to do. But I can't allow sickness to be the thing that my life revolves around. I refuse to allow infirmity to have a place of honor at the pursuit. I refuse. And that's why God has given us authority in this church over sickness and disease. Because we refuse to honor it. It's not the guest at our table. It's, it, it's an illegal intruder. It broke into the house. So we're going to cast it out. It's a strong man, so we're going to bind it. It doesn't get a place of honor. I don't walk around and talk in hushed tones about sickness. 
sickness like it's a king that has honor at our table. It has no honor. It's demonic, and it's got no place in this church. What are we holding up our magnifying glass to? Some people, all they can see is sickness and problems and disease and death and fear and worry and anxiety. It's all they can see. And then they get offended when you won't see it the way that they see it. But see, my perspective doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. And as I keep my eyes on him, the author and the finisher, he will finish what he started. We're not going to allow our lives to revolve around things and all of a sudden get us to somehow be something that, that God hasn't created us to be. We're always going to do online. We're going to have multi-campus. We're going to do online. We're going to stream in places. We've got people connecting around the world streaming into this thing. I, I always want to try to meet people at the place of, of their need, meet people at the place of their comfort level, and then challenge people at their comfort level to come up a little higher. So I preach the way that I do. Sometimes you say, man, is Russell upset? Is he aggravated? Yes. But... <laughs> I'm always preaching this type of way because the Holy Spirit came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. And we got a lot of comfort in church today. So every once in a while, if you hear me preaching with a little edge, it's because the Holy Spirit hasn't come just to reinforce your comfort. Come to afflict some things in your life. But see, we live in a world today where as soon as a preacher says something I don't like, I'm on to the next church. And we wonder why we never grow. And when you develop roots in a place long enough to endure some affliction, that's when growth happens in your life. Now watch. Two key words for this year. I'm going to close here. Two key words for this year. Number one, unity. Number two, focus. If we don't win the war for unity in here, we'll have no authority or power out there. You know what the problem is with the church? Maybe not this church, but just the church in general. Is we want acts to power without acts for living. Watch what scripture says in Acts 4. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. God, we just need more power. God says, I'm trying. If you guys can't even agree on the color of the carpet. Y'all can't even agree on just being in Christian fellowship. You're making enemies out of people who look different, vote different, sound different than you. You guys can't even get an agreement in here, and you want supernatural power out there. And when we win the war for unity in this house, it gives us credibility and authority in other people's houses. It's not only unity, it's, it's focus. Isaiah, uh, in the text that I read this morning, is prophesying at a very unique time in the nation of Israel. They have divided into two territories, ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. In the north, it's called Israel. In the south, it's called Judah. And they broke up shortly after Solomon's reign because they had a fight over, essentially, taxes and, and economic privilege. The ten tribes in the north felt like, man, we're being overtaxed and underrepresented, so we're going our own way. The two tribes in the south said, well, you guys are crazy. The lineage of the king is through the tribe of Judah, which belongs to us. We're going in a different way, and they separated. 
And uh, the problem with their separation is that it left them alone, isolated, and weak. To such a degree that in about 740 B.C., the Assyrians would take the north. And 200 years later, the Babylonians would take the south. Do you know that we're stronger together than we are apart? There's a reason Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He knows the 99 are going to be okay because they're together. But I think sometimes in this season, we're looking for things to tear us apart. We're looking for ideas and conclusions that tear us apart instead of bring us together. And one of the cries of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament is strive for unity. Because it's not presupposed in any type of organizational environment. It's not easy. People don't wake up unified. you got to get unified. You know why we worship as long as we worship before we get to the preaching of the word? So that we can get our hearts united with God and with one another. That's why we put the words on the screen. Because there's something that happens when we all sing the same song. We're coming into unity. We're coming into harmony. We're coming into symphony. We're singing this thing together. And when we win the war for unity and refuse to lose focus, we are unstoppable. And going into 2021, friend, we're going to have some challenges. But every challenge, if you view it right, is an opportunity for growth. And if we'll magnify the right things, we'll forget the wrong things, that we can keep our eyes focused on Jesus and together grow up in the heart of God, strengthen the family of God, and see this community transformed for the purpose of God. You know, starting next week, we're going to begin a new chapter here at The Pursuit. It's going to look different. It's going to feel a little different. Service times aren't going to be what they used to be. We're going to be at 9 a.m. That'll stay the same. Our second service is going to be 10.30 a.m. Our third service is going to be noon. We're going to have some people at the 9, others at the 10.30, others at the noon. We've got some people who double dip or serve in different areas and help out in different ways. However you so desire to engage, we just encourage you to engage. But I believe that if we make more room, God will provide more wine. So we're going to make more room. It's not really a great time to do it. We've got viruses and COVID and instability and seems like it's been a miracle just to try to hold the church together and there's sometimes we get to these places in life where we think if I can just hold it together I don't want to grow I don't want to dream I don't want to think I don't want to expand I don't want to plan I don't want to prosper I just want to try to hold it together we go from dreamers and doers to managers of what is And maybe the greatest crime that you could spiritually commit in this season would be to only manage what you have now. Instead of understanding that what I have now is a build-up, it's a lead-up, it's an invitation to what God has for me next. Some of you have experienced incredible growth here over the last year. Others of you in different parts or seasons of your life, man, you've seen the goodness of God over and over. I'm going to dare you to believe today, as I do almost every Sunday, that your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. I'm going to implore you, urge you, provoke you. Don't just manage the aquarium. Fish in the sea. 
Don't just manage what you have now. Don't just say, man, thank God I'm here. I made it. Awesome. Cool. See you next week. Let's grow. Let's believe God for what's next. Let's challenge each other. Let's stir each other up in the most holy faith. And let's believe that God's got something more for this city, for our families, for our lives, for our spiritual vitality. Let's forget the former things, the old way of life, the old way of thinking, the old way of religion. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher. And together, let's fill this house and see God do what he does best. Just meet people at the place of their need. Would you stand with me as we close? I want to pray for you, encourage you on your way out. Come on, let's be people of perspective in this season. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Father, we love you. God, we honor you. And we thank you that you are at work in ways that we can't comprehend. And now, God, we ask that by your spirit, you would fill us anew, afresh, overflowing. God, that in fact you would do exceedingly, abundantly more than you could ever, than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And that in doing so, we would see increase in our own lives, increase in our ability to believe you at your word, and that we would be stirred up with this idea that there is more for my life, my best days are ahead. God, I pray in this season you would help adjust our perspective. You'd cause us to come into supernatural unity. You'd cause us to have the right focus, forgetting former things, keeping our eyes on you. God, we love you. God, we honor you. I thank you. Every chair in this building represents a soul. Every row represents a family. Every square inch of this building represents a connection that somebody's going to make with somebody else. Every place in this room represents a spot of encounter that somebody's going to have with God. And so, God, we say now, going into the new year, into the new season, that increase comes upon this house. Father, we pray that you bring the right people at the right time. People who've been far from you. Prodigals who have run from you. People who've been lost in the world. People who've never known you like they should have. People who've never darkened the doors of this church. God, we pray that you would bring them in. You'd seat them at this table and that they'd receive from you. That, God, you would receive the reward that you're worthy to receive, souls as an inheritance. God, we say do what you do best. And we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.